Wow. Thank you. I haven't even said anything yet. Let's see if you're still clapping at the end. Good morning. It's great to be here with y'all today. Let's go ahead and take a look at our sermon passage. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 through chapter 4, verse 7. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23 through chapter 4, verse 7. In this passage, the Apostle Paul teaches us many things about the Christian life. But the main thing I want us to focus on in this passage today is what Paul has to say about the privilege that we have as Christians to call God our Father. Beginning at chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. For now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Now pausing there for a second, when Paul says here that we're all sons of God, you may be wondering, what about women? Are they not daughters of God too? Well, of course, the answer is yes. Understand in Paul's cultural context, only males were entitled to the family inheritance. So to say that we're all sons is actually a radical gender equal statement. Paul is saying that unlike the benefits that his world had reserved only for males, God extends his benefits to all his people, male and female. So again, Paul says, verse 26, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God, male and female, through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But, Paul says... When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Again, male and female. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Amen? Let's pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use this word today to give your people a fresh vision and a renewed hope in what it means that you, the God of the universe, has given sinners like us the privilege of calling you Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What does it mean for us to have a heavenly father like God? 
to begin today, I want you to think about your relationship with your earthly father. What is he like? If he's passed away, what was he like? And I want you to think specifically about what your relationship was like with him when you were younger. Did you even have a relationship with him growing up? I'm sure that many of you have some positive memories of your relationship with your father growing up. You may have had what could be described as a good father. And if that's you, you ought to praise God for that. A good father is a tremendous blessing and can help you better understand what it's like to have a heavenly father. But even if you had the greatest of fathers, the reality is that they were still limited in the ways that they could care for you. And I'm sure they'd admit that at times they fell short in fathering you perfectly. And some of our fathers fell short a lot more than others. For some of you, when you reflect on your childhood and how you were fathered, you don't have a lot of positive memories. I imagine in a room this size that at least a few of you carry around with you still today the invisible scars of deep wounds inflicted by fathers. Or maybe for some, a big hole left by fatherlessness. Scars and wounds and holes that have been for some a source of great sadness and anger and insecurities in your life. And as a father of four kids myself, I now know well from the other side the guilt and shame I often feel from my own fatherly failures. And so, brothers and sisters, because we've all had less than perfect father experiences, even if they were generally good, all of us are still faced with at least some level of challenge when we encounter language in Scripture about God being a perfect father to us. It's hard for us not to project our own limited and broken pictures of fatherhood onto our Heavenly Father, and so we desperately need passages like ours today. Passages that help us to see more rightly and to embrace more fully and to celebrate more joyfully what it means that the God of the universe allows us to call him our Father. So far in this letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul has been going in on false teachers in the Galatian church. He's been calling out those who were teaching a false gospel, those who were telling people that the only way to really be saved, that the only way to really get right with God was by following the law, the civil and ceremonial and moral commands of God that we find in the Old Testament. And this false gospel was, of course, in direct conflict with the true gospel that Paul preached, which was a good news message, a message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But understand for Paul, this did not mean that God's law didn't still serve a good purpose. Paul recognized that one of the good purposes of God's law was showing us our sinfulness. As Paul describes it in chapter 3, verse 23 of our passage, 
telling us that the law imprisoned us. In other words, like a good prison guard, God's law kept us from escaping the reality that we're all sinners before a holy God and in need of salvation. And also Paul tells us that the law served the good purpose of actually guiding us towards that salvation, a salvation that again would be found only in Jesus Christ. As Paul puts it several times in our passage, describing God's law as a guardian, that like a responsible adult, God's law was tasked with the responsibility of holding our hands and walking us towards Jesus because Jesus and Jesus alone would be the one who would ultimately follow God's law perfectly for us, justifying us, Paul says in verse 24, making sinners like us right with God, not on the basis of our obedience to the law, not on the basis of anything that we do or don't do, but solely by faith in Jesus' perfect obedience and sacrificial death for us. And it's in this way that, again, Paul is simply hammering home the same gospel truth that he's been hitting at since the beginning of this letter. That, again, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But what Paul uniquely adds here in our passage today is telling us that Jesus not only brought us salvation, that Jesus not only brought peace between sinners like us and a holy God. No, Paul says, Jesus did something far greater than that. Paul tells us that Jesus took sinners like us and made us God's children. As Paul puts this amazing truth in verse 26, saying, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons, male and female, children of God through faith. And Paul later remixes the same beautiful truth in chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 of our passage, telling us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that, Paul says, so that we might receive adoption as God's children. Paul is saying that this is ultimately why Jesus came as a baby in the manger. That this is ultimately why Jesus suffered and died on a cross and God raised Jesus up from the dead. It was all part of God's final play that he ran through Jesus to win sinners like us into his family as his children. And for him to be for us a limitless perfect heavenly father and this brothers and sisters is an awesome and distinct privilege that again is experienced only by grace through faith and what God has already done for us in Jesus which means that contrary to what some think not everyone has the privilege of calling God father and I know that may sound a little controversial, so let me explain to you what I mean by that. We've all heard well-meaning people, maybe even ourselves, say things like all people are God's children. And often what people mean by that is that everyone, that all the diversity of humanity are equally made in the image of God and therefore equally deserving of all the honor and respect and dignity that goes along with that. And to that, we say a big amen. 
Yes, all humanity lays equal claim on God as their creator. But not all can call on him as their father. You see, that's a different kind of relationship, an intimate relationship that God has reserved only for those that he's moved to place their faith in his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul says in verse 26 of our passage that it's only in Christ Jesus that you have become God's children. And the Gospel of John Chapter 1, verse 12, puts this even more clearly, saying that only those who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, God has given the right to become children of God. So what's the point? The point is that the only path into an intimate father-child relationship with God is through Jesus Christ who is the only one who actually lived a life worthy enough to be called a child of God. And so by faith in Jesus and the adoption of God's children that flows from it, Paul tells us that we now can lay claim on all the rights and privileges that come with being his children. And in our passage, Paul highlights at least two specific child of God privileges. Number one, being heirs of an eternal inheritance. And number two, being able to cry out to God, Abba, Father. And it's this second privilege, the privilege of being able to cry out to God as our Father that I want us to focus on in the remaining time today. This privilege may be the greatest demonstration of our special intimate relationship with God. That like a good parent who comes running when their child has a problem and who celebrates their child's growth and accomplishments, Paul is telling us that God is committed to being an accessible and responsive father to us. A father who hears us. A father who knows us. A father who is consistent and always present, protecting us and providing for us. A father who is never too busy or distracted to care for us or to celebrate us. A father who is gentle and kind and patient with us. A father who forgives us. That's the kind of father that the almighty God of the universe has decided to be for you, for us as believers. And I know for some, that may sound a little too good to be true. Again, it's hard for some of us to even begin to imagine a father like that, especially if our earthly father was not like that for us. Again, as a father myself, who tries really, really hard to be a good father, I know how often I'm not as accessible and responsive to my children as I need to be in order to care for them and celebrate them the ways I need to. Sometimes I get too busy. Sometimes I get too distracted. Sometimes I get too tired, too short-tempered to love my children well. 
And it's hard for me sometimes not to project my father's failures and my own fatherly failures onto my heavenly father. And in projecting my fatherly brokenness onto God, it often leads me down a path of doubt. Wondering, God, are you really there for me? Are you really guiding me in the right way? Are you really proud of me? Do you really rejoice over me? Do you really still love me even though I keep failing you? Will you really help me fight this temptation? Will you help me bring me through this situation? Will you really be gentle with me? Will you really forgive me? Will you really father me well? Brothers and sisters, if you haven't experienced it already, temptations to doubt God's fatherly love for us is normal in the Christian life. And the Father knows this. And that's why as part of his fatherly love, the Father has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, who Paul tells us in chapter 4, verse 6, God sends into our hearts to prompt us to cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, one of the primary missions of the Holy Spirit in your life is to come behind you, to push you against the winds of doubts, to press you into a deeper and deeper trust and felt experience of God's fatherly love for you, driving you to take the risk to test out his fatherly love for you. When I was in high school, I remember doing something really dumb, as I often did in that season of life. And I found myself wound up in a really complicated and hard situation. A situation that I knew I couldn't get myself out of. And I remember a friend of mine who knew my situation and knew my family well, telling me, Charles, you know what you got to do. You got to tell your dad. You got to tell him because he's the only way who can help you out of this. And I distinctively remember thinking, no, I can't take this to him. He's already bailed me out of too many situations. I can't bring myself to bring my father into my mess once again. I don't want to disappoint him again. And now looking back on it, deep down, I really didn't believe I deserved his fatherly care for me. Not after all I'd done. But what my friend was in effect telling me was to go ahead and test out my father's love for me. And so I did. I told him everything. And I remember my father being a little angry. And I remember him expressing some disappointment with me. But what I remember most is him proving nonetheless faithful to be a good father to me through it all. And it was in that situation And honestly, many situations like it during that season in my life 
When I came to know my Father's love for me in a deeper and more dynamic and more transformative way, I never felt like more of a beloved child of my Father than when I made a royal mess of my life and got to watch my Father meet me in it and love me through it. Some of you may be here this morning in your own hard situations. Situations that you may have even had a hand in getting yourself into. And you've been apprehensive about really allowing your Heavenly Father into your situation. Maybe deep down you don't believe you deserve His fatherly love for you. And guess what? You're right. You don't deserve it. We all deserve to be left with the worst and eternal consequences of all our mess. But brothers and sisters, this thing has never been about what we deserve. It's always been from the jump about Jesus and what Jesus has earned for you, including the Father's unfailing and unconditional commitment to love you as his own and to cover you with the fullness of his fatherly love, even and especially when you least deserve it. Like my friend did for me that day, Again, the Spirit of God pressures us to go ahead and test out God's fatherly love for us, to cry out to Him, to confess our sins, to cry out to Him, to lay bare our struggles and pain, to cry out to Him in praise, to celebrate the evidence of His grace in our life, to cry out to our Heavenly Father, to place it all in His fatherly hands and watch Him perfectly father you. He will. I know he will, because I've seen him do it in my own life. And of course, as a good father, God also doesn't play favorites. God extends this amazing privilege, not just to some of his children, but to all of his children. And that's why Paul tells the Galatian Christians in chapter 4, verse 6, that they all can cry out, Abba, Father. Or as it reads in the Greek, Abba, Pater. And understand what Paul is doing here. Abba was the Aramaic way of saying father. So that's the way the Jewish folk back then would have said it. But Pater, Pater was how the Gentile Greeks would have said father. So Paul is intentionally getting bilingual on us here. Making it clear to both the Jews and Greeks in the Galatian church that it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female, as Paul puts it in verse 28. No matter your race, gender, class, or culture, each and every one of us, by grace, through faith, are one in Christ, Paul says, and therefore we all together equally share in the Father's love. And there's a lot of implications of that. But one implication of that that I want to highlight for us today is that if we all indeed, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, have God as our Father, and if we all equally share in His love, then there's no greater ministry that we can offer to one another as brothers and sisters than to join the Holy Spirit in His work by reminding one another regularly of the Father's love for us. We need each other, brothers and sisters, to meet one another in our distress and discouragements, 
to meet one another in our insecurities and guilt, to meet one another in our joys and triumphs, bringing one another the reminder that the Father loves you, even though it may not look like it right now, my sister, even though it may not feel like it right now, my brother. Just as sure as the Father loves His only begotten Son, Jesus, He loves you and is loving you perfectly right now, even through the ups and downs you're experiencing. He's caring for you. He's rejoicing over you. He is loving you perfectly right now. Oh, how we need, how this campus needs some strong spiritual siblings who are willing to throw their arms around us when we're down, who are willing to raise their hands and praise with us when things are up and remind us that the Father loves us and is loving us even when we may be in a hard and confusing and frustrating or lonely place in the moment. You need that from one another. We need that. So by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we are all beloved children of the Heavenly Father and so invited to call out to Him when things are good and when things are bad and to always be reminding one another to do the same. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us perfectly. Jesus, thank you for sacrificing your life to bring us into the Father's love. And Holy Spirit, thank you for reminding us of just how much the Father loves us. Help us to believe it and help us to help one another to do the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.